Good morning, church. Good morning, church. That one's a little bit better. Listen, here's what I want us to do. Uh, before we even open our Bibles, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. And I, I ask that you would pray along with me specifically as we pray over this service, but also as we pray over Israel in its current state as well. Let's pray together. God in heaven. We come to you today with the freedom, with the opportunity to worship, honor, and glorify the name of Jesus Christ, the name above every name. And Lord, we pray with the power of your Holy Spirit that we would be steadfast and unmovable by the things we see in the world by what takes place, knowing, Lord, it is a lost world. Knowing, Lord, that Your plan for this world is perfect. And we know, God, that the people of Israel are still Your people. Thank You, God, that we have been grafted into Your family. But we pray that Your will would be done. Help those currently in turmoil. Help those currently in chaos to know that true peace only comes through Jesus Christ. Lord, we bow to You. And as we continue in worship through Your Word, again, may the name of Jesus be honored and glorified. In Your name we pray. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 8, and we've made it. We have come to the very last week that we are going to be studying specifically the life of Gideon. Now, if you've been with us up to this point, if you've been able to catch up here and there, we've known that this story arc of Gideon, it kind of goes in a bell curve. It starts off pretty low. Man, we've hit a big high, but we've started to plateau and pan out and fall towards the bottom. Gideon started off spiritually low. We found him in hiding, in fear of the Midianites, until the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Very slowly, after testing God several times, which we don't recommend, we begin to see a trust and authentic faith begin to develop. That's his rise. We see him develop from that. With Gideon, he is preparing for battle against those Midianites who have been the oppressors of Israel up to this point. Victory is obtained. That's the high point. That's the high watermark. That is when God is glorified, God is worshipped, and that is when everyone begins dancing in the streets. But last week, unfortunately, we got on the other side of that bell curve and we see Gideon continue to fight above and beyond, we believe from the text, what God intended or instructed him to accomplish. What happens as a result? The army becomes exhausted. And we were able to see from the elements of the text where Gideon becomes spiritually exhausted. Something that every believer, we said, must be on guard against. We compared this part of the story to a bad sequel, 
of a great blockbuster movie, and sadly, the story from there is only going to get worse. Today's text is a caution tale for any believer that thinks that they've gotten Satan figured out and they are now impervious to any spiritual failure. Now with that uplifting beginning, let's go to the text, beginning Judges chapter 8 in verse 22. Stay with me, we're going to jump around just a little bit. Here we go. Verse 22. Then the Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you as well as your sons and your grandsons, for you delivered us from the power of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Boy, that sounds good, doesn't it? Well, keep reading. Then he said to them, Let me make a request of you. Everyone, give me an earring from his plunder. Now the enemy had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites, and they said, We agree to give them. So they spread out a cloak, and everyone threw an earring from his plunder on it. The weight of the gold earrings he requested was 43 pounds of gold, in addition to the crescent ornaments and ear pendants, the purple garments on the kings of Midian, and the chains on the necks of their camels. Verse 27, Gideon made an ephod from all this and put it in Oprah, his hometown. Then all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his household. Verse 28, So Midian was subdued before the Israelites, and they were no longer a threat. The land had peace for 40 years during the days of of Gideon. Go on down to verse 33 with me. When Gideon died, the Israelites turned and prostituted themselves by worshiping the Baals and made Baal Bereth their God. The Israelites did not remember the Lord their God, who had rescued them from the hand of the enemies around them. They did not show kindness to the house of Jeroboam, that is, Gideon, for all the good that he had done. Israel. God, we come to you. Thank you for your word. Bless us as we continue forward today. Open our hearts, open our eyes to your word in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. After the events of what we read in chapter 8 last week, the political star of Gideon continues to rise among the people. Since the beginning of our study, we've said that Gideon is sometimes his own little micro-study, meaning he is a smaller picture of Israel in general. Israel has gone from afraid to victorious and overcoming obstacles, recognizing God in the process, and just as we saw with Gideon last week, we sense then a spiritual spiral downward with the people as well. Instead of turning towards God, they wish to elevate Gideon instead. And this might seem nitpicky. We've done the same thing at times. It's only human nature for us to elevate a war hero. But we cannot forget the entire purpose of this military endeavor. We cannot forget where this military victory came from. Remember what God said before limiting the number of troops 
in Judges chapter 7, verse 2. If you want to look, all you've got to do is turn one page back in the Bible and you'll see this. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them, or else Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, I saved myself. And here we are. The people trying to give Gideon one of their own, all the credit. Now notice they're very careful not to call Gideon a king. Because mm -mm, we know they don't want a king. They're not after that. But what is the phrasing? If it looks like a duck, sounds like a duck, and swims like a duck, guess what? you got a duck. Verse 23, showing signs of humility and just how pious he is in the context of the rest of the verses. What is it that Gideon says? He says, no, 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 no. I will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. That's that part of the sermon where everyone would go, hmm. Oh, that sounds so good. And I've used this term with some of you before, and I believe here in the text, here it is laid out in Scripture. You know what that response is? That's a Sunday school answer. That's a Sunday school answer. And I don't necessarily mean that in a positive way. Here's what I mean by that, okay? Here's what it is. Whether it's in student ministry, whether you're dealing with teenagers, whether you're dealing with adults, sometimes you get down to the nitty-gritty and you're going to ask some pretty serious, straightforward, spiritual questions. And what do you get? Spiritual answers. Answers that we give because we're in church. You don't give the real facts. You're asked a straightforward, hard question. You don't give the truthful response. You give the response that you think everybody wants to hear. Now, why do I believe that this is in fact what Gideon is doing? This is what he tells them. He says, brothers and sisters, I will not rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Oh, that sounds good. But you know what? It's not genuine. It's not authentic. It is in fact a Sunday school answer. Why do we know this? Look at the text. Look at his actions that immediately follow. Verse 24, right after he says, I won't rule over you. He says, however, I do have one request of you. You know, all that stuff that you just collected from this army that we've defeated, I want you to give me some of it. You know what that sounds like? That's a command that maybe a king or a ruler might give to a group of people. Willingly then, what happens? The people hand this over to Gideon and Gideon humbly asks these people to donate to the Gideon Fund. That's what he's done. Then in verse 26, very specific then as to what Gideon receives. And we're going to dig into why. Why is it so specific as to what he collects? Some texts will say it was about 1,700 shekels worth of gold. I'm using the CSB, which I always use. And what mine said was it was about 43 pounds of gold. Somewhere between 40 and 50 pounds of gold. Okay, well, what does that mean? Now, I came across some calculations, more than likely, roughly guesstimating, that's about $450 worth of gold today. 
not world changing. That's a little stiff for my blood, but it's not cheap. It's still significant. You ask any ruler, how much should we give? They only answer more, more, and more. A king collects one time. He's going to collect again. Gideon is acting as a king even for this seemingly small amount of money. The text then goes into even further detail. So we're going to dig even further. 40 or 50 pounds of gold. It also includes pendants, earrings, robes, and other things taken from the people that they destroyed. Who were they taken from? The kings of Midian. So here's what you have. Mr. Humble Gideon, who said he was going to let the the Lord rule over the people. Now, he is successful. He is popular. He is receiving a tax or a benevolence. And he's walking around wearing insignia and robes that were previously owned by kings. Hey church, if you're super, super humble, and not wanting to become a ruler or a king, asking people to donate from their spoils, dressing up like a king is not really a great place to start. Yet here we are. And what do we know about leaders who assume power in these types of situations. Here's a history lesson for you. Pick any ruler, dictator in history, and more than likely, it's going to start with a major success of some kind, like winning a major victory in battle. Gideon checks that box. Then, what comes with the power? Well, of course, money and wealth is going to come. Double-check that box for Gideon. And guess what? He ain't even done yet. This one takes the cake. Do not miss this. Verse 27, Gideon then makes an ephod out of what he has collected. This was spiritual clothing only intended for a high priest. This was only to be worn, if you know your Mosaic law, for a high priest. So on top of everything else, on top of Gideon assuming this power, becoming successful, acquiring this wealth, now he has his own cult as well. Because these people bow in worship to this ephod in Gideon's name. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Despite the debauchery, Israel was still able, by God's glory, to enjoy 40 years of peace. But in the last few verses that we read, there may have been peace, but there was not a spiritual rebirth. The Israelite people continue the cycle of following false gods. Specifically, the same cultural cults that Gideon had a hand in destroying at the onset of the story we began. And that's really where his story ends. We don't hear much more about him. So what are we, the church, to take away from Gideon? Starting with the first. You've got Gideon's problems, 
And His problem is the same as ours. Here's what I mean. If you ask me, if you ask me, Gideon's biggest problem was not fear. Gideon's biggest problem was not even testing God because at the point where he did those things, there was no faith developed from the start. You can't expect his behavior to be any different because there was no faith. His biggest problem and when he de- was when he developed his own strength in his own eyes. This was after his faith had grown. This was after the Holy Spirit had rested upon him. When his strength, not God's, began to develop, what happened? Get this, his words became different from his actions. His words disconnected from his actions. What he said was, the Lord will rule over you. Gideon's promise that he would not seize control. Gideon's pious words that tickled the ears of those who heard. And every bit of that was dashed, ripped, and blown up by his actions. And church, i got to tell you, I'm just a pastor, and I can be just as much a part of the problem, but I am tired of Grace Baptist Church. I'm tired of the local church. I'm tired of the big C church, all the church put together. I'm tired of the words not matching the actions that we proclaim. I'm tired that we quote, for God so loved the world, and yet we turn our eyes because we would rather die than share the gospel with someone who needs to hear it. We quote, love your neighbor, yet we mock the LGBTQ community over their depravity. We quote, I can do all things through Christ, yet we whine and complain when the world attacks us for our faith. We quote, blessed are the peacemakers, and yet we want to fight over every political right we believe that we are entitled to. We quote, my grace is sufficient, and we do not act like a people who have been shown grace. Your heart breaks for Israel, mine does too. But is your heart just as broken for the sinner that lives next door to you? Because, and I mentioned this this morning, I told him I already had it written in my sermon, so I'm not making it up. But here's what we need to do in both situations. For Israel and for our neighbor, yes, we need to pray. Yes, there is power in prayer. But you've got to ask yourself, in which one of these situations can you act in a way that is going to advance the kingdom of God? Unless any of you are flying over to Israel anytime soon, why don't you start praying and make a conversation and relationship with your neighbor next door? Act in a way in which you speak. I'm tired of seeing a weak faith. A weak faith when we lose it because someone pulls out in front of us in traffic. And I'll go ahead and tell you, that's confession. Driving out of town last Sunday afternoon, I had to sit in silence for 10 or 15 minutes. I couldn't even talk to my wife, and I'm pretty sure she was laughing at me the whole time because I was furious that somebody pulled out in front of us. 
And I, I, hand to God, I had to sit there and I had to pray and ask repentance because I was seething. Anyways. All the way to the weak faith of the people who are also in my position that are pastors to any and all size of churches in any and all places, yet they are not acting out what they preach. I'm tired of seeing professing, born-again, Holy Spirit-dwelling people that act sinfully because they do not pay enough attention to the words of God that they are quoting. You want some Bible verses to quote? Go ahead and line this one up in your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says this, Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, them filthy pagans like we all used to be. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they, when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day He visits. There's one we don't talk about. There's one for you to circle in your Bible. What about James 1.22? We quote it all the time. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. How about James 2.26? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. We want to say, we want to quote, and we want to pretend like we act in such a way, and I'm pretty sure we've got it backwards. We need to learn to act the Word of God, then we can quote it, because then we've actually lived it. We like to say, practice what you preach. Maybe it should be, preach what you actually practice. And until then, maybe we need to keep our mouth shut. And even as the world mocks, know that it's the Lord who will be the final judge and not us. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, and she's going to laugh at me. You've got in your notes a point number two, that ties in with the end. That's exactly what I sent to Ashley. And I'm the one that changed his mind and I split it up. So what you got in your notes doesn't quite measure up. Here's point number two for you. My bad, okay? Point number two, Gideon's rock bottom. And no, I'm not talking about his physique. I knew some of you would get that. Some of you. When Gideon, sorry. When Gideon's actions changed, when Gideon's actions changed, the spiral that we began discussing last week only continued on in the verses that we read today. We saw the progression of success, how it went to his head to the point where Gideon is doing the unthinkable and setting up idols in the same manner of the idols that he tore down in chapter 6. Not only do these actions not align with his words, We've got to understand, church, when we act in the same way, when our actions do not match the words that we are proclaiming, listen, that is sin. That's not just a whoopsie, I messed up. That is living in sin. That is continued sin. And unfortunately for Gideon, we do not see a change in this pattern of behavior. Look at me. We do not see repentance in Gideon. If you can find it, tell me about it. Because I ain't found it. 
We do not see repentance in Gideon. Now, this idea of acting in this way, being sinful behavior, maybe that sounds like a duh statement to you, but how quick are we to cast aside sinful practices without dealing with them head on? When conviction hits, when we're in a response time, and man, Mark and the gang, they're singing and they're getting after it, and you know that God is speaking directly to you and there's conviction on your heart, and yet we ignore it. When we shrug it off and just say, I'll work on it, that's when we've got problems. What's wrong with that thought? Well, strike one. I, I won't do anything. Strike two, work. Any work that you do on your own spiritually without the Holy Spirit, you might as well be like a hamster running on a wheel. It ain't getting you nowhere, Jack. Strike three, the entirety of the thought that we have any power or any strength to defeat sin in our own strength is opposed to the teaching of Scripture. Yet at the same time, we have to have the mindset of Romans 6, 1-2. through 2. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. I heard a preacher say one time in Texas, we just say it, Paul saying, Nuh-uh. Now how can he who died to sin still live in it. Sin cannot continue in our lives. We've got to understand, we are just as capable of being as idolatrous as Gideon. Through the strength of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, Ephesians 1, through confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Romans 10 9, only then... Can we rest in 1 Corinthians 10.13? No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation He will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. Not through our strength, but the strength provided by God Almighty, through His Spirit. Here's the good news. If you are unsure, if you actually have the strength of God living within you, if you're unsure, if you've ever confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you are unsure that you know how to even bout and fight with temptation, guess what? In just a few minutes, you'll have an opportunity to do so. If you've got questions on what it means, if you're unsure what it means to be saved, what salvation is, what Jesus is, and all these other things, you'll have an opportunity to ask those questions. But in the meantime, let's get to the big idea. This could be part three. This could be however you want to make it. There are your notes. You can write them down however you want to. Big idea. This is Gideon's real legacy. You don't have to turn there. But think of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. You know this. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. Okay, Kyle, how did we jump from Gideon all the way to Hebrews? Where did we make that jump from light speed? Well, here you go. We've studied this definition of faith. 
we know that faith is hope without seeing. These Old Testament heroes that we're reading about, they did not see Jesus, yet their hope and their faith was in the coming of Jesus. We live on the other side of Jesus. We didn't see Him, but we have faith that He lived a perfect life, that He died, that He resurrected. And what do we look forward to? We look forward to the faith of Him coming again. We have the same faith, Old Testament, as we have New Testament. Then the Hebrews 11 chapter, it summarizes Old Testament moments of faith and ties them together with the faith of the current church. Verse 32 in Hebrews 11, you get this. Check this out. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness. Hopefully you've heard that over the past eight weeks. Became mighty in battle and put foreign armies to fight. He's mentioned as a man of faith. Let's be honest. Was there legitimate moments of faith in Gideon? Yeah. Was this a fully realized faith? I don't know. Don't know. Lean towards not. We've got to understand that the faith of Gideon was limited. It was limited. Gideon. Here's your line. Gideon is not a benchmark of faith. Gideon is a low bar of expectation. A low bar of expectation. If you know about the rest of the book of Judges, Gideon is just a fifth in a line of judges, each one of them having a lesser faith and a lesser turnaround of the people than the last. The entire book of Judges, all of Judges, points to the imperfect picture of the perfect judge to come. His name's Jesus Christ. Here's why I say that Gideon is a low bar of expectation for us. One more time from the book of James, James says this, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Through the Holy Spirit, true believers will persevere to the end. Through the Holy Spirit, true believers will persevere in faith to the end. Get this. God uses imperfect, prideful people that misuse the authority entrusted to them so believers will surrender to the perfect God. Gideon, bless his heart, is an imperfect, prideful judge with a simple faith that was wrongfully turned into a self-proclaiming ruler when his actions didn't meet 
His words. So as a church, what are we to do? Should be the last thing I've got, guys. No, that was the last thing. As a church, listen to me. What are we to do? Submit to the Word. Recognizing His authority through His Word. Next, surrender to the will of God. What's the difference between submit and surrender? Check this out. If you don't believe me, look it up. Submit is to recognize the authority of someone else. To surrender is to stop fighting. You may recognize the Word of God, but if you stop fighting that it is the authority, have you given in to using your own strength, real or imagined, for His perfect strength? Submit to the Word of God. Surrender to the will of God. Stay watchful of your own actions. Stay watchful of our own weaknesses. We discussed that last week. And do so, as we just said, daily to the end. And let perseverance have its way. With that, I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they're preparing, I want to ask you, where are you? Have you surrendered your strength, your lack of strength, to the authority of Jesus Christ? Have you developed a relationship where you've admitted your sins, where you have confessed the sins before Jesus Christ and confessed Him as Lord and Savior? Eternity rests on it. Otherwise, we're just as Gideon, capable of any type of sin, capable of any type of debauchery, all having to do with self and self-promotion, relying on our own strength. If you've got questions on that, come talk to me. I'd love to ask them. There's no telling what your background is, what you've been taught in church growing up, what your preconceived notions are now. That's why I say, listen, if you've got questions, come talk to me. We'll figure it out. Okay? For the rest of us, if we are believers in the grace, the sufficiency of grace of Jesus Christ, we have got to make sure that our actions match the words in here. How is God trying to use you to advance His kingdom. We like to do the easy things. God calls us to live by faith, which is difficult. That being said, let's pray together. Lord, honestly, we come to You. Faith is difficult. Faith is rough. We believe in something totally opposed to what the rest of the world says. And yet, what comes with it, Lord, through what You say is a peace that surpasses all understanding. The ability, the strength, not from ourselves, but the ability through Your Holy Spirit to persevere to the end whatever may come in our way between them. Lord, forgive us. When our faith is weak, forgive us when we succumb to every stinking, nitpicky 
temptation that comes our way. Forgive us, Lord, when our actions do not reflect the words in this text that we submit to having authority over us. Oh God, in this day right now, make us doers of Your Word that will proclaim with our mouths and with our lives as a living sacrifice the grace that You've given us. In Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. As we prepare to sing one more song, I'm going to ask that you stand with us. We sing one song as a response. You respond as God calls you to do. Thank you so much for listening to Grace Baptist Cartersville podcast. If you would like more of Grace Baptist Cartersville, make sure you check out our GBC Young Adults podcast. Also, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and our services on YouTube.